Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. It is the 7th of November, 2023, and we changed our clocks back, and so we, it's actually bright outside right now. It is, yeah. Oh, look Look at the yeah. way the sun is hitting those trees with the yellow. Like, it's just landing right on those fall colors. It's just beautiful. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a change from from last week when it was yeah. not so light. Yeah, yeah. Our temperatures have changed. My poor plants don't know if they need a scarf or sunscreen. Yeah. <laughs> Aircon. Yeah. It's, it's, it is. It's really warmed up again, which is fun. Mm-hmm. We'll take it. Yeah, yeah. It's not hot. It's just, no, no, it's lovely. Yeah, it's just... Very, yeah. very nice. We actually, like, it's very fallish. Now we kind of had a little winter, well, I mean, not winter really, but like we went below freezing and maybe a little early for that. I don't yeah. know. I'm not the farmer's almanac over here. I'm I don't not know. either. Okay. No, I don't know. But okay. <laughs> hey, it's warmed up. Yeah. So we have a birthday today. We do have a birthday today. Happy birthday, Unifier. Happy birthday, Unifier. What a beautiful day for a birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Thinking of Unifier, I mean, I think of him often, but, you know, sometimes you're so marked by your initial meeting with someone, and it just, you carry that with you into every conversation and every encounter with that person, and and that is just true about Unifier. Like, he just lives so vulnerably, he is unafraid to reveal you know, what is in the the deepest part of him. And so when we met him years ago, I don't know how many years you probably do. Yeah, like 13. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. We're like teenagers now. I know. Um, (laughs) He he was younger. (laughs) And so were we. But we were, the, the training we were doing was in somebody's house in, in Boston, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so Unifier was there. We had not met him. He and Nightingale actually were both there. We had not met either of them yet. And so what a God, what a harvesty meeting that was. It really was. With those two. Great day for the Blue Army. <laughs> Seriously. Um, it's this time of worship before we're going to share. And we weren't the only people sharing. This was, you know, we were just invited to to share at certain points. And so uh, the, the ministry that was hosting us was a big worship ministry. And so there'd been this time of worship and it, there was this pause and Unifier, who we didn't yet know, stood up just in all his vulnerability, like it's just what he does. And he and he's got this big cross necklace on, which he wore for a very specific reason. It was a walker. Yeah, he can tell you that story. It was amazing. And, um, and he just started belting out how he loves us. Just started belting that song out. And, and sang it in its entirety. Just, I don't know, like I would just say unafraid of his need to praise. Unafraid of his need to say who God was to him in that moment and how loved he felt. like, And that, to me, is just the, 
the essence of unifier and and everybody like even the host who could have been offended or whatever was just like thank you thank you for doing that like there was such a boldness so yeah it was a beautiful moment yeah one we never forgot no love you unifier happy birthday thank you for being you yeah it's a great day <laughs> tuesday it's a tuesday yeah we have two to gather tonight. We do. We're going to um, we're going to praise the Lord tonight. Mm-hmm. I bet Unifier will praise the Lord. Tonight. <laughs> I bet he will. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we'll be live streaming mm-hmm. and looking forward to it. See you there. Yeah. Do we have any another any other announcements? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. We reached our limit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Early. Well, here in Grand Old Bixby, Oklahoma, USA, we have a glorious grief dunk in progress. Mm-hmm. And um, what, a, what a blessing it is to have people from our local team and people from out of state and people from out of country that are here to walk the journey to joy with God. And um, because of the way we're doing the grief dunk now, my, I, I teach on the first day, but the first day for the grief dunk is actually Sunday. So uh, that was two days ago now. And um, what, a, what a, an honor it was to get to, to hang out with that incredible group of people for a day and um, said some things that were new, which happens sometimes. And then just sort of left it for God to do what God does. And then as I was putting together podcasts for this morning, I had no idea, but God really had the topic of grief um, in mind. And so we kind of went through that and then ended up being kind of a surprise for me, a little bit of a surprise of how uh, Sunday, some of those new things got tied in in a kind of a you-can't-make-it-up way. So that's fun. So let's do that this morning. And we're going to start with uh, something we've done before. And, uh, of course, it's all in the Bible, so it's all been done before. But we'll, we're, <laughs> we're going to read this not for the first time in a podcast or in a book. And that is um, Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5. And um, this is the prophecy from Isaiah of our King, Jesus. And so, but I am going to start in verse three. So he, which we know from from what was what was completed, is Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men or humanity, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So, um, somewhere in there, I don't know why, but I don't think I made it to verse 5. So, let's just say that's Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. verse 3 through 4. I think I, think I might not have put verse 5 in there, but I, I, I considered it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so isn't it amazing to just 
just go through those two verses and sort of marinate in them for a while that that our king Jesus was not a stranger to grief and and Isaiah said that Jesus would be acquainted with it um, but we know from from previous things we've talked about that that word acquainted is actually yada and uh, yada you know Hebrew 30:45 it's it means intimately he was intimately aware and and he knew grief intimately and and then Isaiah says he's got these two words that he bore our our griefs they were borne by him or he he he, he um bore our griefs and carried our sorrows so um Elohim had me look at those words uh the verbs there and so you've got bore is nasa and for those who want to know, Nasa is Hebrew fifty three seventy five. Nasa also actually means to carry. This is classic English for me. Is that we we're not sure which word to use where when it comes to Hebrew. But um, Nasa he bore our griefs. It also means to carry. But then you have carried, which in Hebrew is sabal, and sabal is Hebrew five four four five. That um, Jesus carried or sabal our sorrows, but sabal also means to bear a load and drag oneself along. And so when Jesus carried his cross, our grief and our sorrow were on his back. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, Jesus was nailed to our grief and our sorrow. Um, and, And that's more of a refresher, but dang you know doesn't that sign up kind of bear repeating it's like jesus jesus was actually crucified on the cross of our grief and our sorrow Hmm. so that word for grief and there are so many is holy um which is hebrew 2483 it is a noun masculine made from hate Lamed and Yod. And this time I felt to pull a covenant for Holi. The grief that Jesus carried, which in Hebrew also means sickness, so it's grief and sickness. It's a, it's a grief that is where you f- actually feel like you're ill. But the covenant of this grief is to cross the threshold into the authority of bringing heaven to earth. And that, that I, you know, I was like, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's cool. And it's good to know uh, that, that through that grief that Jesus was intimate with, the grief that we have, that this holy grief, that there's actually an authority that comes from it. And, and so I just felt like to do that, and it didn't make sense until a bit later. So let's make sense out of it here in a bit. But to cross the threshold into the authority of bringing heaven to earth. So from here, I'm praying, and Elohim said, let me show you the point where Jesus expressed that grief. And I think we all know this, but it's again, it's worth repeating. So here is Matthew 27, verse 45 through 46. So we have, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ali, Ali, 
Lama Sabach Thami. Thani, sorry. Don't say Aramaic very often. Ali, Ali, Lema Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in these words, we actually are hearing Jesus bearing our grief and our sorrow. Jesus is crying out in Aramaic again, so I'm, I'm not a professional at Aramaic, but I do the best I can. And, uh, but, but when Jesus said this, you can, you can feel in those words that Jesus is quoting something greater. And of course, we know that, uh, that Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. So now let's go to Psalm 22, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And one of these is going to be very familiar from August. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So, first of all, we have this Psalm of David, and it it always gives me like a deep, deep chills, like on my skin when I hear David, who is is expressing this heart-wrench And when he does that, we remember David, who is the forefather of Jesus, is prophesying, not only saying his own story, but prophesying the future of his great, 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 great grandson, capital S. So this is like the ultimate poem that demonstrates the journey of grief that Elohim gave to the people, because in this three verses, you have David David lamenting, but then he surrenders, and he does so with praise. And what praise is this? It's Tehillah praise, of course. So David surrenders with Tehillah praise to the Lord, and in so doing, participates in the enthronement of God. So, what what was just so mind-boggling to me is is yes you know and i said this on sunday but i didn't really know the connection like this morning tehillah is a crucial part of our journey through grief to joy but when we look at the covenant of tehillah we know it's the authority to create and so when Holy, which is grief that sickness that jesus was intimately acquainted with is our authority of bringing heaven to earth, we see that through our praise, connected with grief, that we are bringing the authority to create from heaven to earth. And that the two go together completely. You don't have grief without Tehillah praise, right? And so um, so when when we enthrone Elohim by our praises, and when we recognize that only God is holy, that, uh, that, that pure selflessness of the Lord, we're opening the door to the authority to create. And from the throne comes everything we need to set the table for intimacy, for comfort, for healing, and for rest. That one thing that David cried out for that he was looking for. So what did he, how did he get there? Is he praised the Lord. So when we are grieving, 
our call from heaven is to Tehillah praise. And I, I just this morning, I was thinking about the grief that's happening in Israel right now and in Gaza right now, and how we can respond to that with our Tehillah praise. And so let this morning be not only a time of praise for Israel and Gaza, but for every day as we go forward that our Tehillah praise is an intimate part of our grief. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow being being with those at the grief dunk because that's that's the essence of what I get to share is that creating place. Um, and about Jesus' lament, like I just will never get over that even his lament was provided for through Psalm 22. He he actually quoted the entirety of that passage, not just that beginning. We you know our translations only have that beginning, but he. He quoted it in its entirety, and when you read it, you, you read things about pierced feet, and uh, it's just astounding that David gave those words, and they were a provision from then to that moment on the cross, and it's just beautiful. Hallelujah. Also love that carried is a bridal word. It's, it's a word that describes being taken taken to the place of the wedding, and Oh, Jesus did that in so many ways. So speaking of Tehillah, uh, we have a few testimonies. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, just astounding. So this is from Harmony and Magnum. Uh, so this this happened in October. And, um, and so it really started with just um, their, their desire to open open a gate and send a wave of Tehillah praise from their region. And so from that moment, Harmony went downstairs and the water to their house was off. And this is this has been an occurrence for them. Like they the water, they're kind of up on a hill and I might not be getting all this completely accurate, but but there are times when the water it can't get pumped up to them and just they've had various times they've been without water. So they found that their neighbor was also without water who they share the well with. And so uh, the problem was their deep well pump was not staying on. So it would start going and then it would go off. And uh, so they, they didn't really know, was this a pump issue or a water level issue? But they had some, some family things going on, and so they, that day, so they had to just kind of let it go. So they got home that evening, and they had a time to pray, and, um, and Magnum was praying regarding to the water levels in the well and for creation to come and help us, to come and help them. I love that so much. And... Uh, and so in the night, Harmony was very wakeful, and it was actually Rosh Hadesh. And so she was praying for the gate of praise and, and just looking at the mystery of the missing water. And, and she actually felt her prayers going deeper and deeper. And um, so then at 3.33 a.m., she felt this call to surrender, and she prayed, Elohim, no matter what, I surrender to you and I praise you. Thank you for no sleep. Thank you for no water. Thank you for all your provision in the seeming lack. Thank you for hearing my prayers. 
thank you for being present, even when I just don't know. And then she fell asleep, and it was a bit after 4 a.m., and sometimes later she heard a low rumble and a shaking of the pipes of the house like nothing they had ever experienced, and the water had returned full force. Glory. What in the world? Um, and so creation responded to their tehillah. Oh, creation came and helped the woman and the man <laughs> in harmony and magnum. And so just amazing. And so she says, uh, so the, their seed for the week was Hanak. And with a uh, spirit-revealed covenant of three surrender, our new life emerges where we are crowned as royal priest. And so they just felt like through all of it that that at the the gate at Rafa it became a gate of praise. So just wow, 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 just yeah, and just uh, harmony surrendering and just thanking, thanking. Elohim for what she was surrendered to, what could have seemed like lack, she saw as a place of provision, just astounding. Okay, so this one, I'm just going to give a little, a little bit. It's, it's so vulnerable, and, and it's a beginning of Tehillah, but, but, but it was shared, and it's just beautiful. And so, um, so the one who sent it, and I want to just keep that that private. Um, but they they realized through something they read, like this internal struggle they'd been in, and um, and so she had had this struggle begin to be named for her, and and just realized that there was this analysis happening. For, of people and surroundings, and so, and it led to judgment. And it actually caused her to feel shut down and judged in return by everyone and everything. I mean, what a picture walking in that place and then feeling that from, from everyone around you. Um, and so, I love how she described it. It was like a big bubble of lies with no pen to pop it. And so she surrendered and entered into Tehillah, and it allowed Elohim to create her a fresh and renewed mind, freeing it from, from critical reasoning and allowing her heart to be strengthened and have Jesus overflow to be what pours out as who she is. And... Um, you know, she just said she had the feeling of being incubated like a fertilized egg in the womb. And and that was just the beginning of it. So, oh my goodness, what more is going to come? It's just astounding. So thank you guys. Thank you for sending these. I, I'm going to kind of culminate this morning in just how crucial our testimonies are, how much they matter. So... So I've been recently in the books of Kings, bits of Chronicles, just just exploring Father Kings and then Judges, and I've just been gleaning and learning just really just at, at the Lord's feet. And so for the past week, Judges has been what has really held my attention, and you know, I had, I had read Joshua first and just wanting to remember the promise as I went into to Judges. 
And, you know, so the beginning of Judges tells of Joshua's death, and there's the occupying of land that begins, or, you know, is happening at the beginning of Judges. And Joshua is buried in the land of his inheritance. And, you know, during his lifetime, the people worshiped the Lord, you know, and so that was what he saw. And so, this is, you know, him being placed in inheritance and and occupying occupying that inheritance, occupying that land is is being told. And then we come to chapter two and and this cycle begins, this cyclical story um, begins. And it's it's this cycle of of missing God, missing the mark, just this cycle of of sin. And from from there, from chapter two, the chapters that follow begin with they forgot their God and they worshiped dot dot dot, or they did right what was right in their own eyes. And then this impact is described, they could no longer resist their enemies. And so this this um these new paragraphs that that enter the story describe the calamity of forgetting God. Um, judges Judges is a really dark book. You know, it's just there. There is victory. You know, we read chapter by chapter of Judges who ended oppression. Like we just see that story over and over. They ended oppression, but then the people chose to be oppressed. Like they just kept choosing that. And and because of that, they would worship dot, 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 you know, another God, uh, themselves, some other source. And so then we come to chapter 17, you know, and there's so much I, you know, have to share from those previous chapters about the beauty, um, the beauty of faithfulness and, and those who did remember their God. But it is, you know, shrouded in this darkness of of the mass of people that that forgot that forgot their God and who God was. So chapter seventeen really ushers us into one of the deepest darknesses of of our story, and so it's it's the story of the judge Micah, and Micah did something interesting. <laughs> he made an idol. So this judge appointed, put in place, makes an idol and installs it in his home. And then he installs his son as the priest of that idol. He even gave him an ephod as the priest. So he creates his own religion or he he tries to make God in his own image. And this is something we've, you know, talked about, you've talked so much about over the years. And here, I don't know, it just impacted me so greatly. I don't think I'd really seen this story in the fullness of that context of this judge, this appointed person making an idol, putting it in his home, and then installing a priest to it, you know, even with the with all the elements of the priesthood, like to this false god, and so what a story of the impact 
of of making God in our own image, it it led to this to this deep, deep darkness that that the remaining chapters of Judge Judges tell of. And it actually ends with yet God is on the move, you know, in this darkness. And so so then Micah does something else when he doesn't see the effect he wants of his idol. Maybe it's that he needs a an actual priest to come. And so he he gets a Levite and somehow talks him into coming and being the priest of his idol. So he displaces his son and now brings the Levite. And, and he says, now the Lord will surely be good to me. And so everything in, in these efforts to make God in his image is looking for goodness for himself instead of greatness for all, instead of everyone to experience the greatness of God, which was part of what the judges um, were called to do, were to, to help the, remem- the people remember that their God was great. But here there's this darkness of forgetfulness, just this calamity, this chaos that comes from forgetting God. Uh, and so, you know, he's installed this, this Levite priest, and, and basically Micah uses God, uses the God that saw him and, and put him in place, and he seeks to control him instead of worshiping him. He's, he tries to set in place a scenario where God must serve him. He must serve his plans. He must serve his ideas. And, and that's what happens when we forget God, we begin to use him because we innately have his ways in us. But we discover that when we try to use those ways, we make them as man, you know, we make his ways into our image, there's only disappointment and devastation. And something that I really saw in, you know, in all of Judges, but just in this story, um, and I did go past um, verse chapter 17, yeah, I really just got held there. But we are created with an innate need to worship, to praise. And because of that, we are ever looking for something to worship. So that's what was happening in Judges. The people, they could recognize their need to worship. They could just not remember that their need was to worship their God. And so they were always looking for the dot, 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 for what else they could worship that could provide for them, looking for anything but Yahweh. And and I don't know, it just kind of opened my perspective of the world around me that each person is actually looking for something to worship. It just, it completely opened up some prayers I had for, for the world, for what's going on, for this darkness that we feel kind of engulfed by with the things that are happening, you know, in Israel and Palestine and, and in many areas of the world, in our own cities, in our own places um, that we live. And, and so I think especially in dark days, that innate idea of worship comes present because there's a need that's realized 
but everyone isn't able to remember who the need is for. That when we worship, we encounter God. We encounter and experience God. And then when we praise, we reveal that experience to each other. And so, so much of what we, we maybe talk about and consider as we're looking at, at the ways of the world is really this need to worship that has risen up and is, is very real and present and, and how we have the honor and the privilege of revealing who is worthy of our praise who is worthy of our worship, because we remember. You know, um, those last books of Judges, you know, after chapter 17, like I said, I didn't dive into them, but what I know of them from historically looking at them is those last chapters in the book of Judges have no mention of God. And that would be my definition of the darkest of days when there are days, when there are places where God is not mentioned, where the story of who God is and what He's done for us is not told. Because, you know, Judges ends up kind of being the, the reversal of, of the story previously. Like, the love story is, is kind of reversed. Like, just this dark, instead of let there be light, it's like, let there be dark. And there's no compass anymore. Like there's no compass towards something except self that's happening. And, and I just started thinking, you know, of, of my own dark days, of moments when I tried to source something for myself, when I, I, I did what was right in my eyes, you know, and really when I sought a solution besides besides Elohim, besides the one who provides everything, you know, and it, it can be subtle, it can be simple, but I can say I know we've all been there, you know, we've all had our own dark days where, you know, our, our mind was plagued with thoughts not our own, or um, our circumstances felt bigger than our God, and, you know, we started uh, brainstorming instead of heartstorming, you know, instead of opening our heart. And, and then we've just had this plethora of opportunities to look for a source other than God. You know, COVID, elections, just all, you know, all our recent happenings just here where we are, and then there's things in other places. But so I just really came to this place of, oh, thanking, thanking Elohim for letting there be light that we don't have to be shrouded in darkness, that we are able to remember. And, and when we have that need for worship rise up in us, we have a place to put it. We have, we have one who is so worthy of it, you know? And, and, you know, one of the pictures in Judges is they just stop seeking the Lord. Like, they completely stop seeking the Lord, and it just, like I said, it, so there was no, there was no mention of Him, like, you know, really think about that, chapters in the Bible that don't mention God at all, you know, that's like, that's dark, like, that is true darkness, and, 
And, you know, thinking of of these promises that came before the book of Judges, like in Deuteronomy 4.29, you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him with you see, when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Like what a promise. When you seek, you will find. And here, here are a people who just choose not to seek, not to look for God, not to look for who he is and what he wants to do. Um, and what's really being revealed, you know, in these these this story in Judges, though, is is this longing for a true judge, a true deliverer, for for light to come again and to reveal. Um, I think it revealed a longing to be authentic. Like for me, it's just this longing to be authentic in all my ways because I want His, because I want the Lord's ways. And just this ache to remember, that's what I feel when I read Judges is this ache to remember who God is. And so it's what I feel for those dark places right now is just this ache for God to be remembered, for Elohim to be to be able to be authentic, for this ambiguity about who God is to end, and for God, for Elohim, for them to be able to be authentic in all their ways, and for be that to be able to be so recognized and so resonant because there's a people that remember and follow those ways, live in those ways. Um, and just, you know, seeing what happens when you stop seeking, this is what happened in, in Judges, then idols are adopted and love grows cold. But there's always hope, even in tragic stories, and that's what I saw in, in Judges as well. And like I said, just that testimony is needed more than ever. The experience of God needs to be remembered and displayed, just praised out. Like, this is, this is what we did. This is that, that something, that this living God, you can't have life with the living God without something being created. That's, that's been the essence of grief to joy. Joy isn't just a, a, some destination we get to. It's a life we begin to live in. It's through those moments when we see there's something to create, there is a future and a hope, there's something to bring forth that we, we move fully into it. So um, I just, yeah, I just was deeply <laughs> moved by this, just the ache for, for the reality of darkness to end. We can look at darkness as, you know, witchcraft or, you know, even pagan things or um, terrorism or things like that. But darkness is really, dark days is a time when there are people no longer seeking God, no longer speaking of God, no longer remembering God. And I know none of us want to live in those days. So, so this just really led me to the import of Mother Judges and Father Kings. And, you know, that's why I was in, what's why I was in the book of Judges just gleaning. And I have some 
treasures that are for another day, but I just wanted to so simply state it again like it's the time of the rise. You know, Yahweh is hovering over our returns and and some of it some of that hovering is for us to be the most authentic people like to to end the ambiguity by being his by being seen known heard experienced as belonging to God and and delighting in being there, like delighting in that belonging, like not looking for another place to be, which just comes from looking for another source, a better strategy, a quicker strategy, you know, something faster, something easier, um, which can end up being very seductive. So um, I had two scriptures that were just... Um, kind of roaming around in me related to, to Mother Judges and Father Kings. And so for Mother Judges, it was Judges 4.14. This is the day the Lord has given the enemy into your hands. And then it, it goes on a little bit, and then they praised. So this is Deborah. And so this is, this is a, a heart call of the Mother Judges that we see the day that the Lord wants to deliver from darkness. We see those moments when the enemy has been given into our hands and how often we get to do that when we cast when we realize the accuser is cast down does not have to have a place in our story, in our situation, in our circumstances. And then we praise. And then we create a different reality when the enemy is removed. There's a new reality to create. There's a new place to dwell. There's a fuller place to occupy. And so this one of the roles of the mother judge is to lift the eyes to God. Lift our eyes to God. Look and see where he wants to be victorious and that it just might be this is the day. This is the day for that and that can happen every day. And then the, the, the scripture I had for the Father Kings that I've just been meditating on is Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. Goodness. That's the Father Kings to, to pour out, to, to, to be a stream, to be a flow, to know what's in the heart of God and let that flow, like to create a flood it's like the very hands of God are directing that stream, are moving with those thoughts, with those heartbeats. And so the Father Kings know the heart of God and they're moved by it. And so here's this partnership, the, the mother judges directing the hearts to God and the Father Kings releasing the heart of God. Just, I just like it a lot. <laughs> so, I've I've been sharing uh, the past few podcasts that I have prayers that I've put together for the the mother judges and the father kings, and so Whistle is going to post those. I, I think it's on the field app, and uh, I'm still doing a final tweak on the father kings, and I'll I'll tell you why. So, the father kings I had already written years ago. 
uh, in, I said it on another podcast, but I don't remember what book now, but wherever Mother Judges and Father Kings was. Yeah. So I had, I had written this prayer for the Father Kings, and it was based on this prayer of Jabez. And I took, talked about this a few weeks ago, but I realized, you know, so much of that, that previous prayer was about, you know, Papa, come and bless me. And really now I know, you know, and going through the Beatitudes and knowing that meaning of blessed, it's about abundance, like abundant indeed. And and I just feel like that for the Father Kings, they are abundant indeed. And so I just need to change some wording. And also on both of the prayers, I felt like they needed to, to be um, spoken to Yahweh because we're in this dimension this year and Yahweh is hovering over returns and and you know that name appears in in all but three books in the in the Bible Esther Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs and it, it's such a, a personal name and it's it's the name most closely linked to God's redeeming acts in history um and so it's it's just this real name of knowing God, and it encompasses so much. It encompasses Elohim, and and um, it's the name that um, that was really meant to be remembered. And so, just as we're in this place of really needing to remember, um, to remember who God is, and to remember what He brings into existence. Um, to remember that we get to create. We do get to create. We are here to create with, with the Lord. And so, um, you know, I, I was just thinking of, of a descriptive way to, to put this, this name that will be in the prayers. And so, you know, one of the, the, the meanings, the essence, the nuance of Yahweh is I am. And we'll dive further into that and maybe go back into some of, of the history of places where that has been talked about because it's, it's really beautiful. But like when, when the Lord says I am, picture if the Lord said I run, like the verb form of I am. There's a noun form and there's a verb form. And the verb form is about the action of God, the movement of God. So if you said, if the name was I run, then, the, and that was the verb form, then, then the noun form would be I am a runner. And so now there's a description of what this person is doing. So, so say, you know, you're now named Run. I know this sounds silly, but, but just go with me for a second. Um, it's like saying he is so good at what he does that from now on we are going to call him that. And so that's, that's part of Yahweh, that's part of the I am, is that we, we see something that, that they are so good at that we have to call them that. We have to call the Lord that in, in that situation in our lives, in that circumstance. And then, you know, we, we have come upon the time where the Lord says to Moses, 
you know, tell them that I am sent you. You know, and so in that, it like there was not just, it was just this authenticity because in the, this is who sent me, there was also the statement of this is what he's going to do. This is what this God is going to do. And so it's just a, such a deep place of naming. I hope that made any sense at all, but it's like giving room. It's like letting the name of God expand every time you say it, because you identify with what you know God wants to do, and you call Him according to what He wants to do, like what you've seen Him do before, like according to your experience of what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen, the past, the present, and the future. And so you're declaring, this is who He's been to me, this is who he is right now, and this is who he wants to be to you right now. My mind's pretty blown by that, actually. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> well, good. Yeah, I think the runner uh, was a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Score. <laughs> it, it, it made sense to me, but yeah. So thank you. <laughs> okay, so I do, I'm going to touch the King, uh, Father King's prayer next week. But I'm gonna, I want to share about the Mother Judges one this week. And I, what I really want to do, so this comes from Proverbs 31, which really is written for Father Kings and Mother Judges, because of the first um, nine verses, the, the king is sharing these words. It's really, even though it's the king stating it, it's, it's words given to the king by his mother, like telling him... Uh, ways that he could really fall into darkness instead of living in light, and then what his call is, um, which is to help those, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, and to be an advocate. Like These are roles of the Father King, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, to be for the rights of all who need an advocate, and to, to judge righteously. So there's a, a, a judge aspect of the Father King to defend the cause of the poor and the needy. I mean, here, like, so she tells him all these ways he could get off track and then like, please don't because this is what you're called to. This is who you are. This is what kings do. And, you know, you've shared many times that the best kings had incredible moms. And so... <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. <laughs> so... Then we come to the infamous, you know, verses 10 on, and, uh, you know, that can feel like this description of this unattainable woman. It makes me think of uh, Pride and Prejudice where, you know, uh, I think it's Elizabeth that says, I've never known such a woman, but if she existed, she would be a fearsome thing to behold. And, uh, you know, and so I, <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, it's it's not meant to be a measuring stick. It's meant to be a revelation. And it is a revelation of the mother judges. And so I want to just touch on, I felt to pull out five aspects of, of the mother judges for this prayer because there's five portions to the Father King prayer. And, and you could write a novel <laughs> if you were writing a prayer on every verse of... Um, of this description of not the perfect woman, but the radiant bride, 
the bride that reveals the groom. That's really what this this passage is about. And I mean, starting at verse ten, it it I can't remember the that term. I don't want to say the wrong one and then plant the wrong thing in people's heads. But each sec, each verse begins with one of the letters of the alphabet, and so it goes through all the letters, beginning with Aleph and and then culminating at the end of the alphabet. So it's, yeah, I don't want to try to say the word and it be wrong. So I just want to touch on a few things so you'll know where I got to, how I got to where I got. Um, because like I have done the deepest dive into these, these, these verses and looked at every single word. And so like I have a very long prayer <laughs> that I have related to this that just means a lot to my heart. But but I knew I needed to not nutshell it, but but kind of bring the the nuance of it for us to all, you know, for we mother judges to be praying together. So so first of all is this is the the description of the radiant bride and it begins with who can find a virtuous bride and what i found on that word virtuous is it's hail is the word it's c-h-a-y-i-l this is a word used for warriors one of the um most wonderful places it's been used related to a mother judge is Ruth. Ruth was called this Hael. And it, it means a warrior. It means a warrior. And it's most typically used describing men using, you know, about those who are going into battle. But here it's used of this radiant bride. Who can find a warrior wife? One who, who has a heart to seek peace in every circumstance, who looks for covenant in every condition. So that's, that's what I saw in this, this warrior wife, was one who brings peace, one who looks for peace, one for look, who looks for not what needs to be fought, but where peace can be restored, where victory already is. And so... Um, and then it goes into that she brings the groom, like, so thinking of this as the groom, Jesus, she brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. So that's the, the first part that I pulled out. And then the second talks about her, you know, the supply of wool and fa- flax, which has deep meaning, but I'm not going to go into that, and works with willing hands. And so exploring that idea of willing hands or an open covenant. This describes one who is content and satisfied with what's been given with who the groom is. And then it it speaks of her bringing food from far away. And that was a really big reveal for me because it the far away meant another realm the connection that I found in looking at this was it was the same description as was when manna came from heaven. Another meaning of this far away was dimensions. So the mother judge is the one who enters into dimensions, opens them wider. 
for people to come. And then it talks about she rises. She rises for her household. And what that means is to fly or soar. And this is this will get you, mother judges. It means to be moved with no opinion, to have no opinion and no judgment so you can move with God. Wow. That's a pretty big one. And then another uh, section, so the third part is that it's about her considering a field and then buying it. And so it's, it's about being an emissary or a missionary in the fields that have been purchased for you and being passionate about the bringing forth of the fruit. This word field is also a military term. It's about assuring victory, about being purposed to assure victory. And, um, and related to these fields, there's the, the part that talks about her lamp stays lit at night. And when I did the, the dive there, it's, you know, it's obviously, you know, the, the virgin with her lamp lit, you know, having the oil in her lamp. It also means to overcome circumstances even when darkness prevails. This is a call of the mother judges to overcome our circumstances even when darkness prevails. And then the fourth part I chose, it talks about she puts her hand to the staff and that, you know, the staff, talked about it numerous times, but the staff like that David carried would have been inscribed. He would have written his lineage on it, and he also would have written his testimonies when he took out a lion or a bear that was after the sheep. Uh, when he defeated Goliath, like those stories, those testaments would have been written. It was a place of, of um, the living word of God, the experience of God was always in his hand. And so that's, that's a place for the mother judges that the experience of our God is always at hand. And so that we can embrace the poor and open our hearts to the needy. Um, I won't go into it, but there's a whole thing about the spinning rod, which is the wheel of Ezekiel. And uh, that, <laughs> that, that could be a whole whole podcast. So I'm just going to tell you that I know about it. Um, and then the, the fifth part that I, I chose was when, you know, her husband is known in the city gates and, and it talks about she makes linen garments and sells them. And so I just needed to know what sell meant. And it was surrender. She surrenders. She surrenders what is created. She surrenders to the one she creates with. So there, and then there's whole other paragraphs, but um, these are the five that I felt to pull out. So I'm just going to read this prayer for the mother judges. Yahweh, I see you, my past, present, and future. You are brilliant with truth, a glow with love that holds no conditions, and luminous in your heart for all that was, is, and will ever be yours. I long to be your radiant bride, revealing you all you are and all you long to be. Let me be the compass to everywhere you are and all of your glorious ways. And then I felt to begin each portion of the five with I am, just in connection to the name Yahweh. 
so that it's a very present tense agreement with who, who God is. I am your virtuous wife, your warrior who seeks peace in every circumstance, looks for covenant in every condition. You can trust my heart to meet yours, to reveal your goodness to a world weary with harm and hurt. All the days of my life are yours, and I see each one as an offering, a place to discover more of who you are and all the mystery you have sown into each moment. I am satisfied, content in being your vessel. Now, I do need to pause here real quick because I found an incredible cross-reference on this, and it was in, I don't remember if it's first or second Peter, but Peter's having this discourse, and he talks about... Um, honoring women as the weaker vessel. <laughs> and whew, we could go a lot of places with that. But, but when you look at what was really said, it's actually pretty amazing because it wasn't about being weak in the terms we think of weak. If the word was delicate. It meant able to be broken open able to be open. And that word vessel is actually for the outrigging of a ship. So it's the sails, the rudder, the anchor, all of those things that um, help with navigation, speed, and pause, and the ability to pause. So that's how I got this next part. I am satisfied, content in being your vessel, the outrigging, the adornment of all you are doing. I will raise heaven's cells for miracles and majesty to occupy the world so your glory can fill the earth. I will be the rudder, free of opinion and judgment, aching to be moved. I am unafraid to go far with you into dimensions yet unsearched, opening them for the beauty and bounty of the bride, that we might unearth together your depth and breadth, the timelessness of you. My desire is for you to be explored and experienced, truly known, that your ways would be seen as wonders that lead to daily delight and abundant awe. I am your missionary, tending the fields you purchased for me from the very beginning, sacred spaces where I pause to meet you and passionately bring forth all you have planned and planted. Your harvest is beautiful, and no plague or pestilence will deter or destroy. Daily I offer my thoughts, hopes, and dreams to you that they will be refined by light. I will pour that light upon the blooming and the barren so all can be seated and seen. My lamp is full of your fire, and every doom will be overcome, even in days of deepest darkness. I am your testimony, etched with our engagement, with every encounter it brings. As the staff held by your hand, I choose the poor and needy, that each and every would be embraced. From the prosperity of your love, I will give freely all I have found in you. You are my fountain. I am your flow. I am surrendered, planted in praise. Hanani. I am your garden, a place of remembrance and redemption. Sift and sort me, loosen every weed that you could be uprooted as your love over that they could be uprooted as your love overtakes me. Let every foreign thing, every foreign thing in me be captured as I am captivated by you. I am yours. Faithful and true. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, praise God. That's a world changer. Yeah. Yeah, and next week I'll I'll read out. It'll be posted. the The Father King prayer will be posted um, probably today by whistle. But I'll read it out next week because I think it's important just to read it over. 
each of us. So it's very sweet. Yeah. Well, we love you all so much. We do. We're going to see you tonight, we hope. Yes, yes. Live stream, 6 p.m. See you there. See you then.